I'm looking forward to this new series. It's called Love Does. We ripped the title off of a, a Bob Goff book a couple of, uh, that came out a couple of years ago. We're just ripping the title, really. And the Lord just, I really wanted it to kind of come out of the book, but um, God just pointed me to the scriptures of 1 Corinthians 13, what's often known as, as the love chapter. And I promise you, this is going to be the simplest and most challenging series you've walked through with, with us here in, in, in some time. Because I'm literally going to take one verse each week, and we're just going to let the Lord do His work in our heart. And I, and I believe that God's going to do some really incredible things as we encounter just the simplicity and beauty of this challenge to, to walk in love as God indeed is love. Love is one of those things that it's, it's kind of cliche these days. I mean, we use it a lot, and in the, I feel like the English language falls short of really describing what it means, because I love pizza, and I also love my wife, right? It's kind of the same thing, right? Uh, I love my kids, and I love Netflix, too, so, um, right? Some of you guys are ready to go to the altar with Stranger Things until death do you part, like you're ready. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, you're, you're, we're in love. We use this term about a lot of different things, um, and really, we, we mean different things. And, and really, the, I think even in our society, like every movie, every story has a, a love story, right? Every, that's always woven into to every media source is this story of love. And I think we, sometimes we miss the essence of what it is. And the only time it's really mostly used is with our family and with a significant other. And that's the only time we talk about it. But as we get into the context today and really the biblical meaning of love, I think all of those misconceptions and maybe trite observations are going to go much deeper for us today in a way that, that we'll experience and encounter. Um, and, and so I'm looking forward to, to diving in here uh, to the scriptures in just a moment. There's going to be really three major themes that you'll see running over the course of this series, over the next four weeks. And I want to talk about them up front. There's these three themes. Um, the first is that love is indispensable. Love is indispensable. Uh, I think you've got the cue up there, Samuel, if you'll throw the three things up. First, that love is indispensable. We'll read through the text here in just a second. Um, but it basically tells us that, look, you can have faith that moves mountains. You can prophesy in the Lord's name. You can have all these amazing gifts operating in the body of Christ. But if you don't have love, I don't care how talented you are, you're not impressing God. God's more concerned with how you treat people and how you act towards people than he is your ministry for him. And I don't think we've taught that and grabbed a hold of that enough in the body of Christ. Uh, not only is love indispensable, but it's given before it's received. A lot of times we're wondering why we don't get love reciprocated back, whether it's from a spouse or a coworker who's not acting in a very loving way. When we begin to understand it's received before it's given, that, that, we, that get, we love because God first loved us. We move from always from that place that he loved us, and that's where we move from. It's, it's received before it's given. That's going to change perspective on some things. And, and then finally, that love is a thoughtful action. It's not just a feeling, right? I'm, it doesn't matter if I'm feeling super loving. I'm going to act in love. It, it's, it's a commitment. It's a thoughtful action in which I, I really uh, constantly uh, apply in my life. And so this theme, we'll keep referring to them. You'll see them continue to come up. But without further ado, let's jump into the text. First uh, Corinthians chapter 13 uh, and, and before we do, um, I'm sorry, I, I just juked you guys out. Um, before we do, let me give you a little context on this, because I think we miss the picture uh, of this text, because we, we just kind of grab like the four verses, four or six verses that um, 
uh, we're going to look at in this series, and we kind of put those on a poster board, or we put those on Facebook on a quote, and then we know that part, and we miss all this context. It happens all the time with scriptures that get popular. People, you know, take two, and they become very familiar. We miss the kind of context that this is sitting in. At the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, this is one of his probably four letters that he wrote to the church at Corinth. We see two in the scripture. This is one of them. And he says at the very beginning of chapter 12, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. Everybody said amen. I don't want to be ignorant either. So he he's, begins this kind of um, teaching on spiritual gifts that, that, that God gives us, that God endows us with these spiritual gifts of wisdom, of teaching, of uh, administration, of healing, of prophecy, of all these different things, of faith, of, of whatever it might be, of giving, of extraordinary giving. God gives us these gifts. And then he moves on, and then we get the top of chapter 13, and, and that's where we're going to pick up here, okay, the top of chapter 13. So this is right in the middle of that whole teaching. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That, that's when you're using your gifts and abilities for God, you're just annoying <laughs> when there's not love in it, right? That's basically what he's saying here. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give my over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love. I gain nothing. Love is indispensable. It's not something to be tagged onto our life and whether we're a particularly kind person or we're a particularly loving person. In our previous church in Georgia, this is a crazy story. There was this man who was really upset with our pastor, right? There were some things that the pastor had certain standards for how certain ministries would run, and my pastor was being completely upright in the manner. He was in, acting in a very loving way, but this dude was just ticked. He was just mad at the pastor since the pastor showed up the first day. He was just going to be upset with him. And uh, finally, the pastor says to me, hey, will you come in my office? I just want a third party because I know this is not going to go well. <laughs> I know he's just going to just lash venom and let it out. I want you to sit down. I want a third party in here. So I, I sat down. I just sat over here, and I think there was a, one of the elders in the church was there as well. And this guy just has got stank face on. He's got resting stank face, and he is just so mad with the pastor. He, before, he hasn't even said anything like aggressive, hasn't even brought up what the meeting's about. And this dude, at one point, my pastor's like, dude, why is your face so, like, angry and mad all of the time? Like, why are you mad? Like, your face, like, you just do, he goes, I'm just not the type of smiling kind of guy. I'm just not a smiling kind of guy. Well, if you're not a smiling kind of guy, if you don't have a lovable personality, if you're not a loving person, then you need to change. Like, and not just out of your actions, but letting God transform that. It doesn't matter what your personality is. It doesn't matter. This is in, um, we, we, we can't allow this to kind of go by the wayside or just be uh, an addendum to our faith, but it, it's very, it's foundational. So let's go to verse four and we'll spend our, the rest of our time at this. But I wanted you to see that context that all of this conversation about love is first about the body of Christ. It's about having love for one another. Jesus said it's by your love for one another that everyone else will know your disciple, that you're my disciples. Not by your postcards and handouts, not by your big events, but by your love for one another, something will leak out, that people will see tangible representation of us giving and loving one another, 
uh, and serving one another, and that will just be known in the city. Like, can you just get a picture of how beautiful that is, that we would never have to come alongside and do a marketing campaign, but the old St. Augustine Road, South Jacksonville, greater um, Jacksonville, would know Fathom Church because of our love for one another. I don't know anything about those people, but I know they love each other. You know, that, that, that's an incredible thing. So let, let's, let's unpack this, and uh, I'll move through it today. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. All right, if you're looking for super deep stuff, that's, his, that's where we're going today. That's it, right? And I was telling the, the serve team that gets here early and we pray at 10 o'clock, I was telling them today, this is such a convicting verse. Like, you can't make it really past the first couple words before you're feeling convicted about something every single time. Um, and I, I want to kind of unpack this a, a little bit for us. I, I think first, I think, like I said, the, the English language kind of falls short. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves, and he really is talking about the Greek language and that it has four words for the word love. Here we have the word agape. That's why that one's highlighted. Highlighted, But agape is God's love, God's unconditional love. Phileo, which is kind of where we get the kind of meaning of Phil, like Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. It's from this word, Greek word phileo and a city there, Philadelphia. So phileo is a friendship love. Storge, parental love. And eros, where we get the word erotic, is romantic or sexual love. And, and here's just a little promo for October 1st for anyone that's single and think they might be married one day or someone that, anyone that is married. Um, October 1st, Saturday, in this room, we have childcare, we have food. It's, it's a marriage conference. It's called Awesome Marriage Conference. It, it's for singles. It's for anyone that wants to learn and be prepared for marriage uh, and be better in it. Um, the only place that all four of these are wrapped up is in the marital relationship that all of these are experienced and encountered. And so what we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is agape love. That's the Greek word that's there, is agape. And I think it goes back to, to what we said. When we're trying to be patient, you can go back to the text and leave that up there for a second. When we go back to the text, love is patient, and we're, we're moving, and we're trying to be patient. How many of y'all know that you got a real short fuse? Some of us got this fuse, some of us got this one. But for everybody, there is a length to our patience. But with God's unconditional, perfect love, right, he, he doesn't have like a, a short little skinny vessel that, no, God is love, is what John said. God is love. So there is no, he never runs out of it, right? He never fails. Like when we're running out, that's because we're not staying connected to the vine as uh, John chapter uh, 15 says, the vine and, and the branches, that when we stay connected to him, we'll always be nourished and always supplied in this. So love, love, unconditional love. It comes from the Lord. This is our first core value around here. And we're able to give that out because we've received that. We don't find ourselves to be super loving or not in a super loving mood. I think there's a couple things um, that, that we can do to really help understand that. And one is just stop for a moment and just allow God to pour in his love. And, and know that, that because of what happens in this life, we get kind of jaded in our perspective towards God. But his perfect love just breaks through that. It casts out fears. It casts out misconceptions. I think in the moments that we just shared even, even earlier. So love is patient. It's agape love that we're talking about here. Um, if we want to continue to run out, we'll keep going from our short vessel. I think of, of having a, a well outside. When we were in um, 
in Guatemala, there was a, there was a well, a pump well, and we worked with that. And here in America, we don't have to worry about running out of water. But just think of having a small vessel, right? And all of us at different lengths based on what's going on in our life, how much patience or love that we actually have in our life. Um, and, and then think of like standing in the middle of the ocean. There's an endless supply there. That's, God, that's God's love in comparison to our love. So that's why we go there. So let's talk about the word patience. Let's talk about how love is patient. Um, and I, I really think we live in such a society that's immediate, that's instant streaming, that's fast food. How can we make our food even faster right, than what it was, and we've, I think we begin to project that into our relationship with God, and God works outside of time and space, and, and he rarely works in our timing, and as we said earlier, um, briefly mentioning in worship that God isn't all of the sudden kind of God, like he can change and do whatever he wants when he wants in, in an immediate moment. Many of you have had those immediate encounters, those all of the sudden encounters with God, but most of the time, God works over time and experience, constantly experiencing him. And so we've got to have patience in that. And that's what love is. And I, I think if, if you're struggling to have that, then we go again back to, to, let me give you four quick things here of how to be more patient. Keys, four keys to, be, to being more patient. Um, I, you, some, some of you in the room, like I could use a lot more than four keys, pastor, on being patient. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I could use a lot more than four keys. So, so let's walk through these. The first is recognizing God's patience with us or, or with me. You want to be a little more patient? Start recognizing God's patience with you, right? What I've found many times is that when I'm being really impatient with others, I'm really mad at God for something I'm having to be patient about. When I'm, I'm fussing at my wife because she's five minutes late, which she never is. She's amazing. I got it easy, guys. She's never, I'm never waiting in the car on her for five minutes. I'm not. Um, but anytime I'm getting frustrated about that, what I'm probably really frustrated is something I've been waiting on God for two years. But changing that perspective and, and, and letting all that out and kind of backtracking here just a little bit, if I really begin to understand and recognize God's patience with me, the, the people we get frustrated about five minutes when God's been waiting on us for years. That he, is, he, he literally gave his son to die for us, for our sins, and to be in communion and relationship with us. He is, uh, as we'll talk about envy, the only thing that God is envious is over you. He is jealous over you, over your attention, over your affection, and in that, he's longing for us. He's waiting for us. I wonder how many things he's been waiting on us for. He's been waiting on us to finally open the scriptures regularly and just let him speak to us. He's been waiting on us to just talk to him, not like in some religious sense, but just be honest and real and take down all the, the fake facade and just be real. I wonder how long he's been waiting on us to, to do what he told us to do two years ago. Right? He told us to step into some obedience, uh, whether it's getting involved in church or uh, going on a mission trip or whatever it might be, or, or honoring him in the tithe, whatever it might be. I wonder how long he's been patient on us about those things. And so recognizing God's patience with me really gives me a perspective change, and it allows me to be more patient with the people around us. The second thing is I say, understand the seasons. Of course, we just added our third child, and she's beautiful, and we're, we're loving life. And uh, the few weeks leading up to it were rough. Like, uh, rough, Taryn said, take a picture of my face if I ever say I want kids again. <laughs> um, and so I didn't. I didn't, because I know I probably would have regretted that if I would have brought that back up sometime. Um, but uh, 
it was just stressful, right? Our, our, our oldest son was going to, in two-week period, our youngest was, our oldest um, was going to kindergarten. Our middle one was going to preschool. She was super pregnant. And then um, we were uh, having a, a child in the midst of all this. Um, so things were really stressful, and the heat, it was kind of heated in our house. And I, I'm, if you think, like, put me on a pedestal of, like, I have, like, these big, deep Bible studies with my five- and three-year-old, let me tell you, I don't. <laughs> I don't have these be- big, deep uh, Bible studies with my five- and three-year-old. But every night we sit down, sit down in our, our, our boys' room, and we talk, and we just have kind of a recap of the day, what's coming up the rest of the week. And it's an opportunity where I can challenge my kids. I can give them godly wisdom. I can pour scripture to them without having to read it because it's in my heart. I can just give it, just give it to them. And um, one of the things I said is, guys, this is a season where we got to be a little more patient with one another. I said, do you know what patience is? He goes, no. I'm like, great. So I got to explain what patience is. That's the challenge of being a parent is you got to explain these simple things that we take for granted. I said, but it's, it's, it's having to wait a little longer for something than what you want, even when it kind of makes you uncomfortable or it's not easy for you. It's having to wait a little bit longer for, for that and, and for a person. I said, guys, in this season, you want mom to do everything, but she's really hurting. She's really hurting, and I need you to wait a little bit longer when you ask her, mommy, can I get some milk? You need to give her 30 more seconds to be able to get up or go help her. You need to be a little more patient. And Beck, your attitude is a little bit out of control, but, but me and mom, and we've been getting, we've been getting short with you because we're upset. But what we're going to do is we're going to try to wait a little bit longer because you got a lot going on in your life too, bud. you got a lot of adjustments, and we're just going to be patient with you. And so I broke down how understanding the, the seasons, and, and, and I think because, because we really, I, I think, don't understand the seasons, we don't understand love. Because love is not just about loving someone when they're being perfectly lovable or when everything's amazing. It's easy to be super loving when everything's perfect. When we understand the season, loving in the most, you haven't loved someone until you've loved them through the hard times. And really the essence of what this word patience means is really about long suffering. It's suffering and it's struggling through. So it's not just in the good times. It's understanding that even in the bad times, that's really when we understand Love. You haven't loved somebody till you've loved them through depression, till you've loved them through failure, through success, till you've experienced all these seasons that we really understand love, that it's not based on how good I feel or how loving I feel or how lovable they're being, but it's my committed and devoted action towards them in all the seasons. So understanding it can kind of help us be a little more patient. Let me keep moving. I'll take all day. Recognize God's patience with you. Understand the seasons. Enjoy the process. This is something I've only learned in the past couple of years, and I still sometimes struggle to, to learn. Um, and, and what I've found is that the process is really beautiful. The, this, this church planting, pastoring thing, um, I, I don't want sympathy, but it's, it's difficult in some ways. In other ways, it's just a beautiful, beautiful journey. But it's difficult in some ways. And one of the hard things is that I kind of have the end goal in mind, right? I see the front of the puzzle, right, beautifully laid out, and I'm ready for that. Like, this is, the God, God put the puzzle, the front of the puzzle in my brain, but here we are kind of walking through it, and I'm struggling. You ever get frustrated and ready to quit on a puzzle? I know some of you guys aren't puzzle people, but our family likes to do puzzles every once in a while, and we get frustrated in the process. I think when we really understand the seasons, we, we get kind of patient. We understand that there's something beautiful with going through a season of all the gray pieces, and all the green pieces, and all the water pieces, and we just begin to enjoy the process. And one of the things I've, I've looked around and seen that people who achieve greatness, 
really enjoy the process as much as they do the end result. People who achieve greatness really enjoy the process just as much. Um, and, and I think that that's a difficult thing for us to grab onto many times is, is we struggle to really enjoy kind of the, the, what, what feel like meaningless seasons or, or trivial seasons that we're really not getting a lot of. Being faithful in those seasons, just enjoying what God's doing uh, is, is vitally important. So enjoy the process. Um, I think we got to get back to, to that, whatever it looks like. Just enjoy, enjoy what God's doing. I think we want everybody to be a finished product, and we don't realize that we're all in process, right? We're all a work in progress. I would never walk up into a, a world-renowned artist. I actually remember when I was in South Australia, we were in this, what looked like a, it looked like something out of like an old Wild West movie right here, and it's like all desert around. You go through this real kind of what looked like a Wild West movie, and you go up, and there's this world-renowned artist in there, um, his name was Jeff Morgan. We met Jeff Morgan. He's, I think he's passed away um, now, but at the time he was struggling. Uh, he was battling cancer, and he was right in the middle of all these masterpieces. He's done all these world-renowned masterpieces. And if I were to bust up in there and judge, I'm like, dude, that looks like garbage. What's that? This isn't a masterpiece. If I just begin to criticize while the artist was in process, I'm not seeing the, the finished work. I think we as believers in the body of Christ, being patient with one another, is trusting that God, enjoying the process. Like we're all in different places in the journey. Our church is in a different place than churches down the road are. I'm not judging them. I hope they wouldn't judge us because of where we are in the process. We're all striving to be more like Christ and to be made into his image. So just enjoy the process. Finally, and, and, and let me move on um, to the next one. Is, is not only to um, in, enjoy the process, but trust God to finish and complete his work. This has been a big thing for me. Philippians 1, um, 6 has been huge for me. Um, it's been huge. that uh, it, it's, it's not a matter of things coming to pass in my time and my perfect plan, but it's all about him, and it's really all about trusting God that he that started the work will be faithful to complete it. That's what Philippians 1, 6 says. That he that started that work is going to be faithful to complete it. And, and what Paul is actually saying in the book of Philippians to a different church, actually, at this time, the church of Philippi, he says, look, I thank God for how you've just come around me and encouraged me and supported me in this mission. And he said, being confident of this. The confidence isn't about the person that we're sitting across to grow through the process and progress a little faster. The faith and the confidence is in that God, what he started he will finish. And, and so it, it, that's, that's a huge thing for us to grab a hold of because many times we, we begin to feel down about people we've poured into or, or uh, maybe a spouse that we're kind of hoping that God will bring this certain area. They'll, they'll get dressed a little bit faster or they'll get their act together a little bit faster. And we, we get kind of disturbed and upset about the pace of that. But when we begin to trust in the Lord that he's going to finish his work, He's going to finish his work, and we trust him in that. It begins to help us be a little more patient because of that trust in God. That's really what, it, what it's about. And so um, let's, let's move on from patience. Uh, I could talk about that all day because that's an honest struggle for every single one of us, um, yours truly included. So that's like the most she's cried all week. So um, love is patient. Uh, love is kind. We live in the South, and everyone's pretty kind down here. Uh, if, you, if you don't think that's true, Go take a like take a trip elsewhere in the country, uh, maybe up in the northeast or maybe out west somewhere. And if you don't think thereby is super hospital down here, you'll come back with a different perspective. But um, love is kind. Love is kind. And I think 
again, agape, we're really talking about God's love here. I think if you pictured the look on God's face, what, what's, that, what's that look on his face that you see, right? He doesn't have a tangible face like we see other than when he lived in the flesh as Jesus uh, in Christ. Um, but it, what's, that, what's that look on his face? I think for most of us, we never see kind. We see disappointed. We see angry. We see impatient. Right? There's two types of patients. There's patients where we're sitting there and we're perfectly pleasant. And then there's the other patients where I'm being patient, but I'm going to let you know I'm being patient. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Like, I've been waiting for this table for an hour. I'm being patient. Look at me. And like, I'm tapping my foot and I'm breathing heavier, right? And I'm pacing across the hostess stand. Um, there's two different. So being kind in that, God's patience with us is not, look all through the scriptures. Here's a great Bible study. Go through the scriptures and see that God is slow to anger. He's slow to anger. He's, his mercy and his compassion endureth much. I, I love what Ephesians 2, 6, and 7 say. We know about Ephesians 2, 8, um, that it's not by uh, works we've been saved, but it's by faith and grace that we've been saved. But look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms of, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I love these beautiful pictures of the kindness of Jesus, of Jesus bringing a child on his lap. And, and it's that same type of, of kindness that we need to be able to exemplify in our relationships with one another uh, and then far outside of that, out in our community as well, in, in our homes. I'm in a little bit of a wedding season. I did a wedding like a week or two ago for a couple here. Uh, and I'm doing one in the next couple of weeks, and then I've got one right after that. So like five weeks, I've got three weddings uh, and I enjoy doing weddings, I really do. And um, I, I was telling the, the, the last bride and groom that, that I married, I was telling them, like, I get really emotional, so if you see me get choked up and have to gather myself at the beginning, it's okay. But I get choked up. Um, and most people would think, hey, it's when that bride comes around the corner, right? You get a little misty-eyed, it's a moment. Sometimes when Taryn and I are watching TV and one of us gets a little teary-eyed, we look at each other and say, it's such a beautiful show. <laughs> such a beautiful show. Um, and you would think that it's probably when that bride comes around the corner that, man, I'm like, ah, I just start tearing up. That, that's not the part that gets me. The part that gets me is when I look at the groom and I see how that groom's looking at his bride. And, and throughout the scriptures, the church is called the bride of Christ, and Christ is, is referred to as the groom. And many of us, one of the big purposes and why we've established this church and who we're called to be is to, to be a place that people begin to understand the church, fathom the church, and, and fall in love with the church. Because many times when we look back at the bride, the church, we see where she's got mismatched shoes and her hair's a little messed up, her makeup's not completely finished, and her dress has stains all over it. And that's the bride we see, and we're not very kind to the bride. We're judgmental of the bride. But what I want to encourage you to do is turn your attention to the groom who looks at that bride and he's not coming back for a dirty bride. He's coming back for a pure and spotless bride. And he looks at that bride, and that's his, that's his bride. You are, you are his bride. And that begins to change when I turn back to the bride. I start looking at the bride a little differently. Right? 
I'm not seeing the stains. I'm not seeing the blemishes. I'm not looking at the things that my wife is insecure about. I don't see in those things. I just see my beautiful bride. I'm just in love with my bride. What kind of insane groom? You got the wrong groom. If when the bride turns the corner, you look and he's judging what she looks like. Oh, bro, you better get out. You're too late, but maybe not. At the altar, that's maybe the time to dart. What kind of groom would do that? When we see the face of the groom and how he feels about his bride, that's how... We should be inspired to feel about the church, the body of Christ, and that kindness towards it and towards one another. So extend that kindness. Let's, let's keep moving. I want to jump over to the very last one, right? It says, um, love does not envy, it uh, does not boast, it is not proud. So I want to, I want to deal with proud for just a second. Because I actually shared a, a blog post this week, you can find it somewhere out there, uh, about pride. And pride disguises itself. And, and I put like nine ways. There's probably more ways. Nine ways that pride disguises itself. We'll get back to those two. Two of them right here. But I want to deal with, with love is not proud. It's not prideful. Because I think that's a, a huge thing in these next two. Um, it is this kind of this pride thing that we all, all deal with. And um, I, I think, um, what's his name? Is it William Penn? That's his name. Uh, the guy who was the founder of the colony of Pennsylvania. He said it really beautifully. He said this: "A proud man then is a kind of glutton upon himself, for he's never satisfied with loving and admiring himself, whilst nothing else with him is worthy either of love or care." I love this, his title: "No cross, no crown." That that's really what pride is. A proud man when we we're. Pride is kind of the opposite of love because pride focuses all on self and love is really about being selfless. And, and I think this will disguise itself in many ways, um, but I, I think we've got to look at it kind of straight in the eyes and deal with it. For Much of my testimony was God working and me understanding his, his love and that began to break down the pride I had in my life because I had a lot of it. I'll tell you my, part of my testimony here in a few minutes. But it began with, with experiencing, encountering, and knowing a God who loved me so much. And that began to break down these things. I, I love the quote that goes around about humility. That humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Right? It's very easy to be commonly just constantly focused on our own self, on our own problems, on our own things that are going on. But really love is the opposite of that. It, it, it's living that out. And we miss the life that God has called us to. We, we want that life overflowing, but when we're self-focused, it, it actually only goes the opposite way. It only goes the opposite way because we're constantly focused on ourselves, and we're missing out on this beautiful journey of giving out. So let me give you just a couple of things to practice, right? Practice makes perfect. We like to be made perfect in his love. Um, and so l- let's, let's practice these couple of things. Practice servanthood. I think of Philippians chapter 2, where take a, consider Christ who made himself nothing, came from heaven, made himself nothing. And, and why don't we take on that mindset of Christ in service? Jesus took that to the extreme and to the extent of death on a cross. And sometimes we complain about just the tiniest little things. If you want to defeat pride, if you want to help slay pride and being proud in your life, and far more of us are are um, susceptible and walking in this than what we realize. It shows itself in a lot of different ways. So practice servanthood. Practice just tangible opportunities to serve and think about other people um, before thinking about yourself. And then practice acknowledging the gifts and successes of others. I think this goes into these last two. 
But when I'm just not focused on myself. Mostly proud people are very critical people. They're, they're very critical of other people because they're only focused on their self, right? The, the, the plank in their eye, they don't see. They just, it looks like everybody else has got a plank, right? And we begin to exchange that and see a little differently. And I begin to acknowledge gifts. When, when God really started doing a lot in my pride, it's been a long process of me saying, God, I'm not an encourager. I was never an encourager, never felt like I had the gift of encouragement. But as God has broken down pride in my life, I've st- I've, I'm so much less critical and so much more of an encourager now than what I ever was. It, it, it's part of the process. I believe it's part of the process because I'm, I'm, I'm not proud. It doesn't have to be all about me. I love to celebrate you. I love to celebrate your promotion. I'm not worried about, I'm not looking at my car. I'm not worried about my car. I love to celebrate the fact you got a new car. Um, there's, a, there's a different thing that happens in there when God breaks down this pride. His love breaks down that pride in our lives. Let, let's keep moving. I want, I want to get on to the next two. Love's not proud. It, it also, it, it, I'm kind of doing this out of order, but it kind of goes to this. Love does not envy. Envy is a dangerous one, right? If you had a spectrum, right, and this is how we view sins many times, like, Right, adultery's on on this end, murders on this end, somewhere in you know somewhere here, and then jealousy is over here with just little white lies. Right, we've got this spectrum in our head, and first of all, blow up that spectrum. It doesn't work like that. But we do. We think envy is just this tiny little thing. It's like a little pet. It's like a little gerbil. Right, you got a little gerbil in there. It's no big deal. But that gerbil gets bigger and bigger if we don't deal with it, and it can eat us alive from the inside out. It truly can. Love does not envy. This is not present. And I think we, we don't realize how much we do this, how much we look around and we look over um, at, at someone else's vehicle or we look at someone else's marriage or someone else's dating relationship or their spouse or we keep looking at, you know, um, our siblings and their success. We keep looking at our spouse and how they're recognized Come on, we do this all the time. We begin to envy those things, and it just if we, if we let it fester, it just gets bigger and bigger. You see, the enemy's desire in our life, it, it seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. It wants to destroy. And the main way it does that, one of the main ways, is through sin. And so when we just let those continue to process and fester, they just get worse, and their desire is to kill. And so it's not just going to stay in that place. So you need to recognize this about the little sins, big and small, whatever you kind of view them as. Know that they're going to get bigger and get bigger, and we've got to cut them off every day. We die to that flesh. We die to those sins because Christ has given us freedom through it. Envy will distract us. It will distract us from everything good and glorious that God is doing in our life. It'll distract us from everything good and glorious that God is doing in our life when we're looking at what he's doing in everybody else's life. Like, some of y'all need to quit social media today because it's eating you up because all you do is see the highlights of everybody else's life and sulk in your misery of what's not going on in your life. And, And it's distracting you from everything good and everything glorious that God is doing in your life. One of the most powerful things we do in our leadership team meetings here when we gather around we don't jump into everything that's wrong and everything that needs to be fixed because I, I got a list longer than anybody, right? Uh, we don't jump into those things. We start every single meeting with what we call wins. What we call wins. We celebrate what God's doing. We, we get our attention and our affection focused on gratitude. And it changes everything. It changes the process. It, go, it helps me enjoy the process. 
It helps me trust in God because I'm, I'm recognizing what he's doing now. It, it's his big stuff. So don't let the enemy, don't let envy distract you from what God is doing because he's at work. He's at work. Even if it's with his left hand and you can't see it, all the scriptures talk about is God's right hand in action. His left hand's always working, though. He's always working. Even when you don't see it, he's, he's at work. Love does not envy. And then finally, love does not boast. Love does not boast. Um, again, boasting might be a small on the scale of, of things. And um, I remember as a, a young child, I, I dealt with a lot of insecurity stuff, and um, like most of us do, and some of us, I think we just continually deal with it most of our life. Um, and so I, I was searching for affirmation, I think is really what it boiled down to. I was searching for recognition. Some of those are, are godly needs that need to be met in my life and maybe weren't met in that season. Others of those things um, is just not discovering my identity in Christ. Not receiving love from the place that is the foundation to be able to give love. And so I'd constantly boast. Beckett's pretty funny now. He's five and He's like, I'm awesome. I'm a ninja warrior. Like, he just says, like, crazy things about things he's super proud of. He's like, I'm awesome at art. And let me just tell you, he's not awesome at art. He's not. He's not awesome at art at all. Like, I'm not one of those parents that, like, everything he brings me, oh, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. No, bro, you're not that good at art. I'm not going to tell you to your face right now. At some point, we'll have a talk. Like, my mom had a talk with me and said, Kyle, you're probably not going to make it to the NBA, bud. I know you want to, but let me... Let me just bring some reality in here and redirect that passion into something probably more productive for your life. Um, he may get amazing at art right now, not so much, uh, but he brags about it. And he's just kind of even doing that at such a young age. And I, and I much older than him, I, I found myself doing this. And it's crazy as I began to walk with the Lord. And, and the sad thing is that as I was doing that, I was doing that out of emptiness. And I don't think my son's empty. Um, I, I, two different scenarios here. I was doing this out of emptiness and looking for affirmation. I think we all do this. I think we see this in every child and every adult. We're, we're looking for that affirmation and, and needing God to just look at us and being like, I love you. I see you. I haven't forgotten you. I've placed this inside of you. And, and so many times we're just crying out. And sometimes it's in boasting. Sometimes it's in a lot of other ways. We're just crying out for attention and for affection and for affirmation. And when we, we receive that from the Lord, that begins to change. That I want my boss to respect me. I want my boss um, to honor me. I, I want him to promote me. But if he doesn't, my affirmation doesn't come from his, his affirming me in a paycheck. I want my wife to speak encouragement and words into my life. I want her to affirm me and constantly tell me she loves me. And even though I'm getting a little bit of a muffin top, she still thinks I'm sexy. I still want her to do that. But if she doesn't, my affirmation's not coming from her. And, and many times this boasting, like, kind of do it, is only, it's only out of just seeking and really needing the affirmation of God. Before we can give it, we've got to receive it. And, and I believe that God wants to do that in our life today. And, and you may be struggling through, thinking through about things that you're strong and you're weak at, maybe. I think this is when we talk about boasting and in that way. Um, and, and just know this, that God uses your weaknesses and your strengths for his glory. 
when I was a musician for a long time, and that was kind of my primary focus and what I did with my life. And um, as I was a young teenager, and I was playing at a bunch of coffee shops and clubs and stuff in Tampa, um, I got a little more recognition just in my circle, not in like any kind of big circles, but just small circles and stuff. And um, people would just always, after the show, like they either come up and say, great job, or they just walk away, right? And like everything, you're just seeking that affirmation when you come in that place. So when these guys come off, affirm them, like lift these guys up. Um, they didn't ask me to do that. That's just, um, so I, I found myself in that place. And I, as I began to get affirmation, people were like, hey, that's, you're great. Love, love what you do. And I just didn't know how to respond. I just didn't know how to respond. And so I just was like, no. And I would just constantly push off, push off what affirmation was coming and, and like stiff arming it out of the way. And I was like, mom, how am I supposed to do that? I was just talking to my mom. I have a great relationship with her. And she said, just say thank you and turn your heart and attention and know that it all comes from God. And so when we, when we boast, we boast in the Lord. Paul said, if I'm going to brag on anything, if I'm going to boast on anything, I'm going to boast in my weakness. He said, I, I, Paul said, I, I felt like I had a lot to boast about. I was the most zealot Jew of them all. I had, you know, boast in the law. He's like, I was perfect. I was a Jew of a Jew. He said, I had a lot to boast in. He said, but if I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in the weakness that God may be strong in my weakness. God uses your weaknesses. He uses your strengths for his glory. And so whatever you're going through, whatever you got going on in your life, I, I first want us to kind of go back to those themes that, that it's indispensable. Like we're, we can't just set this aside. This has got to be a priority, a high priority for every single one of us as the body of believers We've got to receive what God has for us, his affirmation, uh, what he is doing in our lives, his timing in our lives. It really goes in through all those things. Trust him, trust him, trust him. Get to know him and know that this is a thoughtful action. This isn't about feeling super loving or just naturally being a carer. This is letting God doing something in me and just letting it flow out. So I want to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray for you. And uh, my lovely bride's going to come and invite you to the table this, this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. I thank you for this moment, this time. I thank you for just the simplest of texts for a person like me that really needs the simple God. It is so challenging to me today because I struggle to be patient. I'm constantly focused on other people and I just need to fix my eyes on you. God, help us to do that today. Help us to just lock into your presence and what you're doing in our lives, God. You're so good to us. You're so good to us and you're at work. Help us to trust you, God. Help us to trust you in this moment. God, I believe that you're going to do big things in the next couple of moments. Help us just to open our hearts, be united in Christ as we come and celebrate at this table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.